or comes to us, we receive that blessing, but we live the life that, that God wants us to live where he says it's more blessed to give than receive. And it is, just as you saw in the scripture. Um, and you may say, well, yeah, I, I missed out. I missed out that opportunity. You know what? We have thousands of opportunities every day. And you may say, well, what? I, 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 kids aren't going to the conference every day. No, they aren't, but people need help. And they need God's help. And you and me are ambassadors on behalf of God. And just with the conference, you know, the conference has taken place, but the Bible tells us uh, when the word is sown, the enemy comes immediately to steal it because he knows what the word of God will do when it's, it's incorporated in somebody's heart and life, their lives transform. They go from glory to glory. They become more dangerous and deadly to the enemy. Don't you want to be dangerous to the enemy? Oh, man, come on. Man, I want, I want the enemy to know when I get up and say, uh-oh, he's up. It should be that way. He should run in fear from you and me. Because the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so the enemy, this battle is going on all the time. It's going on right here. It goes on every place the Word of God goes forth. Because the enemy is trying to distract us and deceive us into thinking we don't need the Word of God. And yet it was the very Word of God that created everything seen and unseen. God spoke and it became. It's the Word of God that, that Jesus sent when, and people were healed. When Jesus was tempted by the enemy in battle with the enemy in the wilderness, He spoke, it is written, it is written, it is written. I want you to know, the Word of God, the Bible says, will not return void. It will accomplish that which is sent forth to accomplish and prosper in the way it goes. But we need to be a part of what's still going on because even though the Word of God was sown in that conference, encounter conference, it's still impacting lives. And so we can, we can, we can be involved. We can give. Well, how can we give? We can pray. We need to pray for the Word of God to really saturate these young people and the workers and, and all of that. So if you just bow your heads right now, we're just going to pray, just be in agreement. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this Encounter Conference and all the conferences that are going on, unbeknownst to us, but very you are very well aware of. Father, we thank you. Every place the Word goes forth, whether it's today or any day, that, Father, you confirm your word with signs and wonders following. Your word is life and health to those who find it. Your word is a light unto people's path and a lamp unto their feet. Father, we thank you, your word that went forth in the encounter conference with the youth and, and the workers, the youth workers, and those that served to make the conference possible. Those who heard the word, Father, we thank you it won't return void. But, Father, it will grow and bear great fruit for your glory for the maturing of, of these young people, and for the building of your kingdom. Father, we thank you that the things that were said, the things that were shared, the things that were imparted will stay with the youth and the workers. That, Father, it will have an eternal impact and that it will transform their lives and they will go forth in this world transforming transforming, bringing your love, your grace, your truth, your hope, your life to those that need it. We thank you, Father, for 
Redeemer. We thank you for them hosting it. Bless them. Bless all those that were serving in any capacity. And the speakers, Father, your word says, he who waters will be watered, and a generous soul will be made full. And so we thank you. We thank you for the generosity of everyone that was involved to make this possible. We thank you for your blessing overflowing, that it would overflow again and again. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You know, we, we, we really do. We have great opportunities, but too often we don't recognize the opportunities. They either look very common or insignificant, and yet there's nothing insignificant about what we can do in the life of somebody else. Somebody did something in our lives to cause us to, to be moved towards Christ. And it wasn't usually just one person. It's a series of people across the time of our life. And they, they help propel us towards Christ. And we need to be aware of that. Everywhere we go, everywhere you go as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the kingdom of God is at hand. That's their answer because the king of the kingdom is Jesus. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, we, we, we need to realize that there, there is so much work to be done, but God's doing such great and amazing things. And it's just like what we, we heard about this morning with Encounter Conference, what's going on with uh, Rabbi Stewart and Chantal, um, with all the people that we support all over the world, God is doing amazing things. But God wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And we've been learning about how that happens. How, how does our life bear fruit and impact other people's lives? Well, it's through abiding. We've been learning about abiding and we've been looking about what, what has to happen, what does happen, what comes from abiding, what we need to expect. And we've been looking recently at uh, two kings. Well, actually one, we're getting to the second one today. And the first one was Saul. Uh, Israel wanted a king. They, they looked out there and they saw the other nations and they said, you know, we want what they have because they thought they were missing something. I want to tell you something right now. There is nothing that the world has that you need to feel like you're missing out on because you have the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And it's just a degree of deception when we look out and we see what people who don't know Jesus are getting and think, I need that. You have, I have, we have what we need, and that is the Lord. He is the one that will empower us to be what He has created us to be and guide us to do what He has ordained us to do, and it's only by Him. And so Israel said, we want a king, and... and <laughs> The Lord said to Israel, you know, you don't want a king. I've been your king. They said, oh, yeah, we want a king. And he said, I'm going to tell you about any human king you're going to get. He's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take. Because without God, that's what we do. We naturally, without God's presence, without God's guidance, we tend to be self-focused. And that's that's what Saul was. Saul had an eye problem. We talked about this last week. And, and what he was more concerned with than anything else was himself. And secondly, what other people thought. And he wasn't as concerned about God. And we all fall into that trap, that same rut, when we don't make God the one that we look to. 
our, our priority. Um, and so Saul was, was raised up as a king. He disregarded what God had said. And finally, God said, because you've disobeyed my commands, I've found your replacement. And he told Samuel, I've found my king, a man after mine own, my own heart. And so he, he told Saul the end of his kingdom was coming, and he was going to raise up another one. And last week, we, we ended off in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel looking at the next king. Now, the next king, you know, you probably know. Anybody know who that was? David. Do you know that David's name is mentioned more than any other name in the Bible except the name of Jesus? There are more references to David than any other except all the references to, to the Lord. And uh, David is mentioned in 19 books of the Old Testament, 881 references. In the New Testament, he's mentioned in nine books, uh, 54 references. If he's mentioned that often, often, he needs to be somebody that we learn about because when God says he was a man after his own heart, that seems like in the, it's an exclusive club. You know, how many people can be a person after God's own heart? Well, the truth is every one of us can. It's just a choice away. David made choices that Saul didn't. And that's why David had the experience that he did when Saul didn't. And today we're going to look at David's life uh, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Uh, we read this last week, but this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? So it was known, Saul's time is limited. And it says, fill your horn with oil and go, I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And so with that, we're going to look into David's life. We are not going to cover all 19 books of the Old Testament and five books of the New Testament, but we're going to jump. We're going to jump to a lot of places. And if you want to learn about David, you have to read all the other things, but we're going to hit some highlights. Well, if you would just bow your heads, we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. We thank you, Father, for your plan, which is for good with a future and a hope. We thank you for your power for us to be overwhelmingly more than conquerors. We thank you for your provision for us to grow in your grace and your knowledge, to be transformed by your word, and to go from glory to glory. Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to speak your word to the body of Christ, the people you love, and see great fruit Heavenly Father, for your glory. And Father, I thank you that we will rise up and fulfill what you have call, called us and appointed us to. We thank you, Father, for the examples, and we just ask you to reveal to us, not just corporately, but personally, what you have for us. Thank you for your word that will not return void. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? So Samuel was sent by God to Jesse's house, the Bethlehemite, and yet he balked at it because he was afraid. He said, you know, 
God, if, if Saul knows that I'm going to anoint the next king, he's going to kill me. So God gave him a way to do it. But we pick this up where he's gone to Jesse's house. Jesse knows he's coming. Jesse's gathered the family together. And, and Saul begins, or Samuel begins to look at the sons because the next king is one of the sons. We pick this up in verse uh, 6. And here's what it says. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Now, Samuel, he's a prophet of God. And he's looking at this son of of, uh, Jesse and he says, this has got to be the guy. How many of you know everything isn't as it appears? And so he looks at him and, and, but the Lord said, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for the Lord looks at, the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. Remember when Saul was chosen? Saul was chosen, and what were the characteristics of Saul that he was chosen? God chose him because he knew the people would want Saul. He was taller than anybody, and he was better looking than everybody. That's what they wanted. All show and no go. And that's, that's, that's a problem with us. We judge by the outward appearance. And, and God warns Samuel and says, don't look at the outside. I don't look at the outside. I look at the heart. Now, another translation says, I look at the internal character. God is looking at the internal character. Uh, inner character. And, and then another translation says, he looks at the thoughts and intents that we have. Now, when I, I read that and I think about that, you know, there's nothing hidden to God. And everything we do is an open book to him. We can fool each other, but we can never fool God. And so that gives me a little hesitation because I realize I may be doing the right things, but for the wrong reason. And God knows it. And so we, we have to be aware because God is more, more concerned about the internal than the external. We can do right things, but for the wrong reasons, and it's wrong. And we can do wrong things with the right heart, and God knows what our heart was and what our intentions were, and he takes that into account. So it goes on to say, so Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had Shammah. Passed by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, uh, there remains the youngest, and, and there he is keeping the sheep. Now, I did a message called not seeing the king and the kid. In this moment, we see that nobody but God. Samuel didn't know who the next king was. He thought it was a couple of the other ones. And then he realized he wasn't supposed to look at the outside. Jesse, the dad, didn't know who the king was. Only God knew who the king was. And even the brothers didn't understand. They saw David as the last choice. 
Sometimes we all feel like last choices. But I want you to know you're not. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. I don't know how he does it, but we're all first choices. He's got a choice for each one of us. And, and so he sent. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. He just tells us he was good looking, he was ruddy with bright eyes. Ruddy uh, tends to do with a complexion. It's about being redheaded. There is a proverb or a perspective that Israelites have that if you see a redhead first thing in the day, you're going to have a great day. I know this because we had gone to Israel and, and our guide, when we got on the bus one of the first times, our guide looked at my wife and said, Gingy, Gingy, and that's for redhead. And, and he looks at me and he says, you with her? I said, yeah. He said, you're blessed. I was like, yeah, <laughs> why? And then he explained that if you see a redhead first thing in the morning, that you're blessed. So every day I'm blessed. I don't know anybody else who is, but I am. And so they were, they were looking at, at David and they were, they were uh, seeing that he wasn't like the other ones. One of the translations, the message translation says he's the runt of the litter. You know, sometimes we look around and we see God using people and we think, I could never be used by God. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I'm not like that. I'm not like them. Yeah, you can be used by God. God wants to give every one of us the privilege of being used by Him, not just occasionally, but every day. And there are opportunities everywhere around us. Debbie and I are finding that anytime we engage with people, whether saved or unsaved, if we'll just make a little bit of effort and ask them, is there anything we can pray for you for? There was somebody that was seeding us, and we asked them, is there anything we can pray for you for? Now, how, how difficult is that? What's, what's the concern we have when we ask somebody that? that? That they might reject us or make fun of us or anything like that. But I'm going to tell you, I have never had anybody do that. In all the times that, that I have asked, is there anything we can pray for you for? The immediate initial reaction is kind of a pause. And then they may say, well, no, I, I, I'm good, I'm good. But more times than not, the response is, that is so kind. That is so nice. Followed by whatever it is. There was somebody that was telling us about how they were having, having challenges uh, in their family with older parents and, and struggling with that. So we prayed. And they realized somebody cared. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to let people know that, that somebody cares, not just us, but the Lord. And so David comes, and he's not what everybody else thinks was the first choice, but he was God's first choice. And, they, and the Lord says to Samuel, arise and, and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, 
And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So he's anointed as king, but everybody didn't know it. He didn't even know it. All of a sudden, God's revealing his plan for David. And it's kind of within the family. He does it so the father sees, the brothers see, and David sees. And he's anointed him as king. But we're going to find out that it wasn't next week that he became king. It took time. And there is a process we all go through. This is the calling of God. God has a calling for every one of us, a purpose for every one of us. But there's a preparation that precedes the setting in. And so there was this preparation that was going to go on. There were a number of things that were going to happen uh, in David's life that would prepare him for where he was going. And it would reveal to him what was needed, just like us. You know, we get saved and we think, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the winning team. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we go on these, these courses without even considering God, just the way Saul did. And we find out that David didn't do it that way. Uh, we, we catch up to David in the next chapter. And uh, uh, David, it, after he got anointed king, he went back to tending sheep taking care of what his father needed him to do. But there was a battle that was about to break out. The Philistines had come. They were set on one side of the valley. Israel came to the other side of the valley. And for 40 days, every day, morning and night, their champion, anybody know who the Philistine champion was? Yeah, Goliath. Goliath. You know, he was a big guy. They estimate that he was almost 10 feet tall. Huge. And, and so they, they would send their champion out, and, and he would taunt Israel. And day and night, that would happen for 40 days. And Jesse sent David to his sons that were part of the army. Now, how old was David when he was anointed? Most scholars believe that he was between 8 and 15 years old. And we know that he was under 20 because... It was at 20 years old that they could be part of the army, and David's not part of the army yet. So he's sent by his dad to his brothers to bring supplies, and he overhears what's going on. He gets out there, and Goliath is out taunting and, and just verbally abusing Israel. And he, he asks about what's going on. In verse 24, uh, it says this, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him, they were dreadfully afraid. Dreadfully afraid. So he's watching what's going on. He's seeing this champion who's huge. He's seeing the Israelites, his brothers included, just so afraid they're running away. Didn't Saul have a, a, an army that was around him that was running away? Yeah. And what did he do? He took matters into his own hands. He did what he thought he should do, he needed to do, instead of relying on God. And so at this point, David spoke to the men who stood by him and saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? It wasn't just about them. He's seeing this in a different perspective. This is about the, the champion of the Philistine reproaching Israel. And then he says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine now, when he says that, he is indicating there's a difference between him and that giant standing out there. 
uncircumcised indicated that he was not in covenant with God. David was in covenant with God. God was with David. God was for David. And he realized that, and he addressed the fact that you're standing there alone. I'm in covenant with God. But weren't all the other Israelites in covenant with God? Yeah. But they didn't choose to make that a reference point. When you have battles, when you have things that come up, when you have challenges, isn't it natural for us just to think, what am I going to do? That's usually what our first response is. What can I do? What am I going to do? What are my resources? How am I going to handle this? But let me ask you a question. When you face anything or everything, is anybody with you? And you may say, well, I know I'm in church, so I have to say yes. Because Jesus is the answer. But oftentimes we face things. God is always with you. As a Christian, God will never leave you or forsake you. And we face these things with our best effort. We'll try harder. We'll, we'll, we'll access all the resources that we can. But all of our efforts, all of our resources, all of our education is limited. God is unlimited, and yet we try and do what we can with what we have instead of looking to Him. Because with God, what's possible? Then why don't we stop? Because we're so programmed to looking to us, and God wants us to give Him control, release that control to Him, always turn to Him, always trust in Him. Instead of trying, you know how we tell God, I'll try harder. And when we try harder, more stress comes on us, more pressure. Instead of trying, we're supposed to trust. We're supposed to turn that over to Him and be available to God for Him to help us understand what, what is our part. So, He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of who? The living God. Everything that David did, he's always referencing God. He's always aware that he's not there alone. This guy isn't standing against him. He's standing against the armies of the living God. And if he's standing against the armies of the living God, is, is the living God going to let his armies go down in flames? No. No, he's not, unless they're disobedient, unless they choose to do whatever they're going to do on their own. And, and we're going to jump down to the uh, verse that's uh, verse 37. But between this, one of the things that David says is, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there something that is most important here? This is not just a battle. I want you to know the battle that you're in is not just a battle about you. It is about you, but it's about showing God that the enemy can hurt the ones he loves. And we have to be able to stand up in God and say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm with you. You're with me. With you, all things are possible. And I am, I am going to turn the care of this over to you, and I am listening to obey. In verse 37, it says, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What had happened was Saul heard about David's saying, you know, what's, what's happening here? This guy has no business coming against the armies of the living God. 
And so Saul calls him in and says, try on my armor. What are, what are you doing? And he said, I can't do this. I'll, I'll, I'll do it my way because this is the way God has for me to do it. And so David referenced, he says, this is why I can do this. I can take this Philistine out because the God who was with me taking out the lion and the bear will give this Philistine to me. See, you and I, we have a history with God. God's brought every one of us through things. And what David chose to do, instead of looking at the giant, he looked at God and what God has done for him and knowing that God won't change. God's going to take care of him because he has taken care of him. God will take care of you, but you've got to let God be God. It's not us being in control. We've got to give over control to God. Saul did what he thought was best. He took control. He took charge in a situation that he wasn't supposed to be. We need to give God control, and that's what abiding is. It's about letting God govern and guide and guard and provide. It's looking to God first before anyone or anything else, relying on him, trusting in him, and allowing him to have his way, no matter how foreign it seems, how foolish it seems, because God does things that are different than how we would do them. And then Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And David, David ends up running to the battle. He ends up cutting the, uh, the giant's head off. But when he said, is there not a cause? In verse 45 through 47, we see what this cause is. It says, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Now, He's saying, this is what God's going to do. He's going to give you into my hand. I'm going to take off your head. The whole army's going to be defeated. But this is the reason why. Not so that, remember when Saul won the victory and he came back and he made a monument to himself? It was all about him. He had an eye problem. And apart from God, we all have eye problems. It's all about us. And so in this moment, David, David reveals the motivation behind what he's doing. He says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's. Didn't we sing that this morning? It's not just a song, it's a way to live. Realizing that every fight you're in, you don't have to fight it alone. And he will give you into our hands. So what was the cause? So that all the earth will know there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly would know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. What was the assembly he was talking about? The army. Whose army? the Philistine army, and the Israelites. So that the Israelites would know too because they were cowering and running away. They didn't know that God would take care of them. But David knew. David was confident. 
You know, there is a holy confidence that we as the people of God should have. Not in ourselves. Our boast is in the Lord. With the Lord, all things are possible. And God will use anyone who will make himself available. And David, David made himself available. David looked to God. David, David trusted God. David was desiring that God would have his way and God would get the glory. Saul wanted the victory, but he wanted to get the glory. And that was part of his downfall. Now, again, we are, we're going to jump. So we're going to go to uh, chapter 18. And this is after the battle. You know, the battle's been won. The victory's been revealed. Uh, Goliath's been defeated. And all of a sudden, what happens is that these, these ladies are singing about the victory. And they sing that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And it really messed with Saul. He got really upset, really angry, and he looked at David from that day forward jealously. He was, he was suspicious of David. He wasn't trusting of David. David hadn't done anything to him except help him up to that point. And yet in this moment, there are some people saying things, and Saul, with his eye problem, was so concerned about how they saw him. They're singing that Saul had slain his thousands and David his Tens of thousands. How many battles had David been in? Anybody know before this time? None. He had battled the bear and the lion, but he had never been in any military battles because he wasn't old enough to be in the army. These people are saying what they're saying, and it's ticking Saul off, and Saul's now looking at David saying, you know what, I got it in for you, man, because I'm sure you've got it in for me. As a matter of fact, Saul says... You know what? He's after my kingdom. David wasn't after his kingdom. God had already given the notification that David was going to be the next king. And so a lot of things went on that were very difficult. David had to, to run for his life at times and, and flee to the wilderness and live in caves. Now remember, He's under 20 and this is happening and he's been anointed king. Does anybody see any challenge with that? Because I certainly do. Because if I were David and I was anointed as king and I had just won a great victory, I, I, I would not expect the king to turn around and hunt me down like a, a, an animal. And I would, in those times that I'm alone in caves being hunted like an animal, I would probably be tempted to say, hey, God, what's going on? Didn't you anoint me as king and now I am the lowest of lows? I am a wanted, hunted person. David didn't do that. David wasn't going to blame God. And we have no right to blame God either. Because what was happening, the Bible says, in my distress, my heart was enlarged. When we go through things, and God will always bring you through, but there are going to be challenges that you and I are going to face. It's the only way we can see what God can do in the situations we can't do anything. And I'm not talking about sickness and disease, but that wasn't what this was. This was an attack. This was an outright attack against him. And yet, he was not going to turn away from God. He trusted God, even though he was in great, great distress, really difficult times. And so... Uh, he, he was hiding out in caves, and 
he didn't blame God, but in 1 Samuel 23, there was another battle with the Philistines, and David's hiding, and some people have already come to him and, and looked for him to be their leader. And uh, David, David, this, this battle's going on, and David inquires of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save this town that they were attacking. Now, Throughout David's life, we see this phrase repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, David inquired of the Lord. David sought the Lord. Doesn't the Bible say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And what, what's the outcome of that? What's the rest of the payoff? Anybody remember? All these other things will be added to you. And it's talking about all the things that everybody else is going after. God will add to you if you'll seek him first and his kingdom. The Bible tells us that, that Jesus is supposed to have the preeminence in everything. Preeminence means first in rank, first in value, and first in influence. When we put Jesus there, then we can have what God has for us, which is better than anyone else has. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. And the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. This whole thing about abiding, making God our first turn, making God our first source, making God our everything, is what guarantees us being able to know we're going to make it through and God's going to bring us through and he's going to bring blessing in the midst of what we're going through in spite of it. So David inquired of the Lord, and, and the Lord told him, go and attack the Philistines. And David said to his men, look, or David's men said to him, look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to this town against the armies of the Philistines? So he's having the same thing happen that Saul had happened, but he's doing very, very different than Saul did. Saul decided he was going to take matters into his own hands. David, in this moment, has already inquired of God. God's told him and made him aware he needs to attack. And now his men, how many of you know it's really challenging when everybody around you says, don't do it? And says, if you do it, we won't do it. We all want to fit in. But what meant more to David than fitting in or what everybody else was going to do? was, God, what do you want? So he inquires of the Lord again, again. And God, the Lord says to him, arise and go, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. David had no guarantee anybody else was going to go with him. But do you know that David and God were a majority? It's nice when other people will go. But if God's saying go, you don't need anybody else going with you. You need, and I need, we need to be obedient to God. And David was. That was the one thing that Saul wasn't. He wasn't obedient to God's commands. And partial obedience is disobedience, and that's what Saul did. David was not going to be partially obedient. And so we're, we're going to jump to chapter 30, and I know we're jumping a lot of things, and, and I'll just give you some uh, understanding in, in what was going on, but uh, there, there had been many battles. There were, he was being chased by Saul. A lot of things had occurred, um, and we get to the place where 
David and his group had gone out to a battle, and they were coming home to the town they lived in, and as they got close enough to see, there was smoke rising. And that caused them great distress. And they got to their town, and they found the whole town burned to the ground. But there were no bodies. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had all been taken captive. And so they walk into this, and we, we pick this up uh, in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30. David was greatly distressed, of course, because everything's gone that he owned. His wife, his sons, his daughters, they're all gone. All the guys with him, they have lost everything. Their wives, sons, and daughters are gone. And it says, for the people spoke of stoning him. Now, these weren't just kind of strangers. These were people that he had given himself to in battle, and they had given themselves to him. These were brothers. These were his closest brothers. And they're looking at what happened, and they're blaming David. David didn't do it. How many of you know sometimes you get blamed for things you really didn't do? And it's real easy to react to that person and give them every reason why they're wrong. But look what David does. And, and it says, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his son and his daughters. I don't know what happened to wives. I'll have to ask God about that. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. These guys, the Bible says these guys wept till they couldn't weep anymore. They were out of tears. And what does David do? Does he look for somebody to say, hey, won't you come up? Won't you be with me? Well, who does he look to first? Right. The only one that's always there every time. You and I can't count on anybody else being with us and for us every time, without exception, except for God. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so every time, whatever we're experiencing, God's right there. He's an ever-present help, the Bible says, in time of trouble, in time of need. And David strengthens himself in the Lord. He pushes back for a second. Guys are talking about stoning him. And he turns to God. He doesn't run away. He doesn't bow under the pressure. He turns to God. How many of you know that was a stressful moment? He's lost his family. All the people he has counted on now have turned against him. We're going to kill you. Low of lows? Absolutely. And who's he turned to? God. He strengthens himself. So David, look at this. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue the troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord lets him know, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and without fail recover all. We don't need to hear from everybody else. We need to hear first from God. We need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We need to let him govern and guide us. The Bible tells us as Christians, New Testament Christians, we're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God, not led by our feelings, not led by what we see, not led by everybody else's uh, ideas, led by the Spirit of God. When we're led by the Spirit of God, we're the sons of God, sons and daughters of God, builders of the kingdom of God. Any other way, we can't guarantee we're building the kingdom of God. And so, so David inquired, and God revealed and gave him guidance and direction of what he needed to do. I want you to know, the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Ask. 
I know, I know how easy it is to jump on the internet and just look for things. But you can't be guaranteed what you're about to get is what you need. But you can absolutely be guaranteed what you get from God is exactly what you need. It may not be what you want, but it's what you need because God knows where things need to start. And it may be we want this taken care of out here and God starts speaking to us about something in here. Because until it's taken care of in here, we'll never be able to stand up to what's out there. And so he strengthened himself in the Lord and then he inquired of the Lord. The same thing we need to do. This, this, David is showing us how to walk this way. And he didn't even have the Spirit of God in him like you and I do. We're going we're gonna to jump quite a ways. Uh, Saul dies. His sons die uh, in battle. And David is still on the run because there are still people pursuing him. But in 2 Samuel chapter 2, we catch up with him. And again, it happened that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the cities of Judah? David is asking God again, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? The Bible says we have not because we ask not, or we ask amiss. And so we need to be asking God. Those that seek will find. Those who knock, it'll be open to, to you. Those that ask, it'll be given. That's what the Scripture tells us. And so we need to ask God for guidance. He'll give it to us. And we need to believe when we ask because that's faith. The Lord said to him, go up. And David said, where? Where shall I go up? And the Lord revealed to him it was Hebron. And David and his men went up to Hebron. And it says in verse 4, Then the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So he knows Saul's died. But these men come and they anoint him to be their king over their tribe. This is, this is his second anointing. The, the scholars believe that, that David was about 22 years old now. So there's been a lot that's gone on. But in that time, none of it has been easy. But everything through that time has cemented and solidified the character of David. He's going to look to God. He's going to look to God. He's going to look to God. And, and we go through difficult times, but we should be learning realizing that God's not going to keep us from challenges coming at us, but he'll keep us in the challenges going through them so that we learn to see what he can, what he will do in our lives, that he can be trusted. If we're running from battles every time, we're not going to have the confidence the next time the battle shows up on our doorstep to say, just like David did, well, you know what? This guy's a lot bigger, this Goliath. is a lot bigger than anything I've faced. But the God that gave me the lion, the God that gave me the bear, he's not too big for God. He's too big for me, but he's not too big for God. And the God that gave you the last victory and the victory before that, it doesn't matter what you're facing, it's not too big for God. So turn to God, trust in God, abide in God. Hold on to God, reach out to God, look out to God first. Not when you can't handle it, because the truth is, 
We can't handle it even before we start, but God can. God can completely handle. And so he told them to go up to Hebron, and they anoint him. They recognize, and all of a sudden, what God had, had told David is starting to happen. Years after he was told. Years after it was revealed. The Bible says, though the vision tarry, wait for it, for it will surely come. The Bible tells us, don't cast away your confidence, for it has great reward. That's what faith is. We hold on to what God has said, what God has, has directed, and we stand having done all things to stand. That was mentioned in praise and worship this morning. God was setting us up. And so this, this occurs. He gets, gets anointed as king over Judah. And again, battles go on. Things are happening. Um, and we're going to jump to chapter 5 of 2 Samuel. In verse 1, it tells us, then, when later, as time went by, as he continued to be faithful to God. You know, God's looking for faithfulness. God's not impressed with our abilities. You know why? Because he gave them to us. But the one thing we can choose is whether we're going to be faithful to him or not. And at the end of this life, when we stand before our Lord, there is something that we should all want to hear. Well done, good and gifted servant. Faithful. Well done, good and faithful. Again, because faithfulness is our choice. God won't make us faithful, but we choose to be faithful to God. David chose to be faithful to God, and all this began to happen. As God had told him, he would be king. But it says, then all the tribes of Israel came to David to Hebron, and spoke to him, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. King David made covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed king David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 45 years. So the time between his anointing with the tribe of Judah when he was 22 to 30 is eight more years. He was waiting eight more years. I want you to know waiting is one of the most difficult things we do. But waiting is part of abiding. The Bible says those that wait or abide or, or rest in the Lord will mount up. Those that wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. What we need more than anything else in the world that we live in that is getting darker and more desperate and difficult, we need strength. And God will give it if we'll just trust Him, if we'll just make Him a priority, if we'll abide and look to Him. And we look at David's life and we see, man, you know, he was always in challenges, but he was always doing right. So that's why he was a man after God's own heart. No, we've looked at these things, and we see how David started. Man, he was faithful to God. He was looking to God. He was dependent on God. But how many of you know there's no human being apart from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's perfect? David made his mistakes, and we're going to see why he made them and what happened, but how because he was a man after God's own heart, because he chose to abide and make God his priority, no matter how bad it got, God was able to turn it around. 
He can do it in your life too. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, God's just waiting. He has been waiting. The Bible tells us, and I don't understand it, but I, I believe it because the Bible tells us. Jesus Christ was crucified from the foundation of the earth. Now, when it says that, I believe it's because God's plan was intact before the earth was ever created. God knew what was going to happen, and God had planned to have Christ pay the price for our sin. But God won't make, He won't enforce His will, even though it's perfect and it's best, because He loves us too much to control us. And so He made this available to us, that Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, came to live in a fallen world filled with sin, lived a life that brought honor to the Father, doing everything that pleased Him, obeying His Father. He was truly abiding and died on the cross for our sins. He lived a sinless life and yet died for the sins of the world, yours and mine. And yet that doesn't benefit us until we recognize what He's done. We repent of what we're doing. We turn away from running our own lives and we turn our lives over to Christ so that He now can be Lord. When that moment happens that we, we repent, we, we give ourselves to God instead of taking control in our lives, and we choose to track, let Him govern us and guide us, that He's able to do things in our lives that were never possible before because now we are His and He is ours. And if you've never done that this morning, I want to pray with you, whether you're here with us in person in the sanctuary or online. And I'm going to invite everyone to pray, but pray this from your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your son who came into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the price for my sin, was raised glorious and victorious, now seated at your right hand. Lord Jesus, I repent. I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me, come into my life, be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours, you are mine, guide me, govern me, guard me, provide for me. I thank you, Lord, for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Now, we had someone in the first service give their life to the Lord and, and uh, got to talk with them and, and just pray for them. And, and so I just want to tell you that if you made that decision to invite Christ to be Lord of your life, let somebody know. We want to celebrate that new life that you have. Uh, you don't have to come to me. If you want to, that's fine. But anyone here, well, I, you may say, I don't know anyone. That's okay. You're now part of the family. And we're going to get to know each other. But uh, let somebody know so that they can pray for you and celebrate your new life. If you're online, let us know. Go to the website, 
ny.org. Go down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want some, uh, someone to contact you, give us contact information. Now, before we go, there's something we're going to do that's biblical. It's scriptural. It's throughout the Psalms. It's something that I, I feel very impressed by God that we need to do. And I know, I know we're on the clock. We all got places to go, people to see. But there's no one more important than God. And so this, just for a couple more minutes, would you give God the opportunity to clarify some things? Would you close your eyes? The Bible tells us to say a lot. Pause and reflect. And we are so busy. Man, we just run. And, and God's with you, but He wants your attention. And so in this moment, just know that there's been a lot spoken here today. Not everything's for you, but there is something, a God word for you. And maybe you didn't get it as, as you were sitting here. Maybe you did. But we're just going to ask God. The Bible says if we lack wisdom, ask and if give it to us freely and fully. And so, Lord, we just ask right now. We're pausing. We're, we're making space and place for you to speak to us. What is it from today's message that was for us, that rhema word that will empower us and impart to us what we need to make the adjustments and realignments and the preparation for what you know we're going to face? Now, you may not hear a voice, but you may get an impression that there's a, there's a little adjustment or an encouragement or a correction because he loves us. God corrects those he loves. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that this isn't limited to being in this building because this building isn't the church. Each one of your children are. And so wherever we go, you're there. Help us to be reminded that we can access you more fully and more quickly and more continuously than anything online. And you have more for us than any other source. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? I just want to pray for you for this week. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one of your children here, those that are online. I thank you that you are with us. Greater are you that's in us than whatever we face in the world. But help us to recognize that we don't face these things alone. Help us to realign ourselves where we're really abiding. We're seeking first your kingdom. We, we, we're looking to you, Lord, as the author and the finisher of our faith. That you would have the preeminence in everything. That, Father, you know what's ahead because you've gone ahead of us and you're preparing the way. You are a rear guard. You uphold us with your right hand of righteousness. You fill and flood us with your spirit. And you cover us with songs of life and love, of wisdom, of hope, of peace, of joy, of your kingdom and of your life. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you wherever we go. We know you got us. Help us to let go of our lives to you, 
to be able to reach out to the lives of those that you love that don't know it yet, but will. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.